BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, good friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and welcome to this week's Reporters Roundtable. A look back at the big news of the week from Washington with three top political reporters. And you know what? A newsy week it's been. Donald Trump was not on the ballot, but he still scored big in this week's Republican primaries, nowhere bigger than in Wyoming, where he got revenge by booting Liz Cheney out of Congress. Now, will Cheney achieve her goal of blocking Trump from getting back in the White House? Meanwhile, there's continued fallback from the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. It's been a big fundraising tool for Donald Trump so far. But could criminal charges against Trump be in the cards? Stuck with a lackluster slate of untried Trump-endorsed candidates, Republican leader Mitch McConnell admitted yesterday that the Republicans' chances of taking back the Senate are fading fast. And Joe Biden signed the biggest climate change bill in history and a historic deal to lower the cost of prescription drugs. But did anybody notice? Does anybody care? Well, here today to help us sort it all out, Leah Askaranam in her new post as senior editor of Grid News, Tom Lobianco, politics reporter at Yahoo News, joining us from Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, he'll tell us all about that. And Kirk Beto, editor of the National Journal Hotline. Leah, Tom, and Kirk, welcome. Hi. <laughs> Good to have you all here. <laughs> uh, Leah, let's start with you, and I want to give you a little a freebie here right at the beginning. Grid News. Tell us, first of all, before we jump in, what it, tell us all about it. Yeah, uh, it just uh, started up a couple months ago. Uh, it's a digital news outlet that aims to contextualize the news. So hopefully everything that we're writing has at least uh, one or two experts on the various subject matters we're covering. So if it's education and politics, you'll have somebody who knows education really well and somebody who knows politics really well. Um, so it's been a fun venture to get started on. How, how do we find you? Uh, grid.news. Grid. That's the website. Dot news. All right. Here we go. So uh, these primaries this week, Leah, across the country, the last of the Republican primaries, I believe, for this year. Overall, what did we learn? Well, uh, I don't think anybody here was too surprised to see uh, Liz Cheney uh, not win that primary. Um, I actually saw National Journal Hotline did um, some really good reporting there. Um, it was, I think that the thing that we were looking forward to was seeing what Liz Cheney would say in that concession speech. I think that was kind of the newsiest part of the day. Um, and what we learned is that she, uh, is definitely not exiting the, the public sphere. Uh, and it seems like she's going to make a mission out of, uh, making sure that Trump does not define, 
uh, maybe not the Republican Party, but you know the the future of U.S. politics. Uh, despite the fact that he clearly had a major impact on uh, her House race. So, Kirk, uh, we've heard a lot of concession speeches <laughs> covering politics, right? Uh, this was hardly a concession speech on the part of Liz Cheney. No, you're right, Bill. It was more of a launching pad going into what could be a primary challenge in 2024. And, uh, you know, Leah, thanks for shouting out our coverage there. You know, we were not as uh, good under this new management as we were under your tenure, but we're trying to uh, get that over. <laughs> but uh, what we're, we saw in that speech was that she was laying the groundwork for what s- seems to be maybe not a necessarily a primary challenge, but some sort of effort to stop Trump from retaking the White House in 2024. If you look at her last uh, quarterly fundraising deadline right before the primary in August, her campaign committee had $7.5 million cash on hand. Now, the very next day after her primary law, she converted that committee into a PAC called the Great Task, which she invoked several times in her speech. And the Great Task, uh, of course, is a reference to Abraham Lincoln, who she talked about at length in that speech about how Lincoln lost his House and Senate race before ultimately winning the presidency. And it seems like she has her sights set on that. Now, whether she's a candidate or just someone who is helping bankroll anti-Trump Republicans, that has yet to be seen. But that's going to be a uh, big division within the Republican Party going forward here. Yeah. And listening to Liz Cheney, there's no doubt she was looking forward and not backward with no regrets. Here is uh, just a quick clip from her speech on Tuesday evening. I will do whatever it takes to ensure Donald Trump is never again anywhere near the Oval Office. And I mean it. I'm a conservative Republican. I believe deeply in the principles and the ideals on which my party was founded. I love its history and I love what our party has stood for. But I love my country more. I will do everything in my power to prevent Donald Trump from getting back in the White House. Now, Tom Lobianco, you are our resident Mike Pence expert, having written uh, a book about him. You're in Des Moines, Iowa today because Mike Pence is coming out to the Iowa State Fair. Will we ever hear Mike Pence go as far as Liz Cheney's willing to go? <laughs> that seems highly unlikely. <laughs> right. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's like... That's the question we've all been asking since January 6th. You know, like, hey, that guy almost got you killed. And, like, we found out even more that, you know, the, the rioters, the, you know, the, whatever Trump stormtroopers, whatever you want to call them, you know, came within 40 feet of yeah. getting Pence's team. You know, Greg Jacob testified to that. Um, but Pence just keeps on teasing. You know, he doesn't really, like, he never leans into it. And again, you know, that stop in New Hampshire a couple days ago, where he's like, maybe I'll consider testifying if, like, all the right conditions are met, maybe just a little bit. Um, You know, like, I don't know how long he can keep up the tease. And, you know, of course, the dichotomy is, is Liz Cheney, who leans right into it. It's like, all right, you know what? I'm not going to win any popularity contests in the Trump in the Trump Republican Party. So what the hell? Let's do it. I mean, mm. so I, I don't think he is, though. I, I think they still see a path, a very narrow path or some type of viability, but they're just not leaning into it maybe the way that they should. Tom, does Pence have any relationship with Cheney at all? I was just thinking about this when I'm thinking yeah. of who could 
occupy that sort of anti-Trump lane in 2024 if there would ever be any sort of consolidation amongst that field? God, that is a great question. You know, um, because that was, of course, would you know, in Scott Walker 2015, when he dropped out, you remember one of those, like one of those early debates, it was Walker and Jeb Bush kind of did that like weird elbow fist bump type thing where they're quasi ganging up on Trump. Like mm-hmm. that's been the thing that nobody has done yet. And, you know, Pence and uh, Liz Cheney did not cross over in the, uh, in the house because he was gone by 2012. I think she was 2016, if I remember correctly. Um, so they didn't have a, like a lot of crossover. Um, but you know, Pence is not Pence like McConnell, you know, not so much like McCarthy, but more like the McConnell mold of Republicans has not been leaning into the hardcore anti-Trump stuff. He only dallies in it. And then, you know, there's only a few words per speech and then he kind of vanishes from it for a month and it pops back up again, you know, concurrent with the, with the news. Um, I don't think he ever will. I think it's more of the running in tandem than than against. Right. Uh, 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 Leah, do you see anybody out there other than Liz Cheney who might directly challenge Trump in a 2024 primary? I mean, we see a long list of people who are going to try, but it seems like the path for almost everybody who's taken on Trump is lose re-election and then start a big organization where you're fundraising for candidates and like, you know, going on cable news and saying that this isn't what the Republican Party is. Um, like it, it doesn't really seem like there's an effective or or an actual electoral path. Um, the I guess if there's a world in which, you know, we're looking at uh, the kind of development of the uh, fallout of the Mar-a-Lago search, Uh, you know, depending on what comes out of that, if there's, you know, enough erosion where potentially enough Republicans can come together and, you know, make a majority out of it if Trump gets down to a plurality of support. But like, I mean, if you're expecting what we saw in like the 2020 Democratic primary where all of the presidential uh, nominees or candidates kind of came together so that Biden would win because there was such a crowded field. Um, I don't think we're going to see that in the Republican Party anytime soon um, because you're really not seeing people who want to stay in elected politics taking on Trump. You're only mm-hmm. seeing it from people who are willing to lose their seats. Who have already lost, like a Larry Hogan. So, Kirk, uh, Leah mentions Mar-a-Lago, which has been looming uh, over us for the last uh, couple of weeks now. Uh, wh- what do you think, uh, you know, Donald Trump's raised a lot of money. <laughs> Any bad news for him is a good fundraising opportunity for him. But aside from that, how serious is this? And w- what does it tell us that the FBI, the Justice Department, went to this extraordinary move of raiding one of the homes of a former president? Look, I think anytime the FBI is uh, searching your home, uh, that is pretty serious. Uh, I'm not, that's <laughs> not good not, news, I'm right? right. <laughs> yeah. That's from a patented hotline analysis there. But what we're <laughs> seeing here is Republicans asking this question in real time. How much are they willing to tolerate? But you know, going back to the question a little bit earlier about like his hold on the Republican Party, we really haven't seen a whole lot of Republicans distance themselves from the president or the former president right now they're repeating his line about how this is a witch hunt how this was a political setup 
how they, you know, you had Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about defunding the FBI. There's been no real political consequence we've seen yet from members of his own party trying to distance themselves from this, say, you know, we need to wait for the facts. The only one places that you are seeing that are with uh, former Vice President Mike Pence, who tried to tone down the rhetoric uh, against the FBI. But even then, is that enough for the base? I'm of the mind right now that we need to wait and see what's going to come up of these charges. This is not a story that's going to be going away anytime soon. And I think it, you know, in the short term, at least, you know, this upcoming election, I think uh, it's really impacting President Biden, who's on this great streak of a bunch of legislative wins from CHIPS, the bipartisan Dunn bill, uh, this massive uh, climate bill. And all everyone wants to talk about is the search of Mar-a-Lago and uh, former mm-hmm. President Trump. It's really taking up all the oxygen right now and kind of taking the wind out of his sails. Right. Um, what about, and we'll get to the Biden thing in just uh, just a little bit, but so, so Tom, again, back to Mike Pence, this is Mike Pence kind of, you know, sticking with the MAGA crowd a little bit, don't attack the FBI. I mean, going after them, I guess, a little bit. Don't attack the FBI. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he did say, yeah, but Merrick Garland, the du- Department of Justice, right, <laughs> could be out of whack here. Right? Again, trying to walk that difficult line right down the middle. Yeah, you know, it kind of reminds me of like, uh, every time he does this, it's like, uh, it reminds me of that South Park episode, like a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll, you know, like, it's just like, and I think like, if you're looking at where the Republicans are, because like, you know, every time I talk with the Republican operatives, and you know, same thing is true here in Iowa, about what's resonating, what's driving, what's driving people to the polls. Um, And it's, it's still these like, it's, it's pocketbook issues, right? It's inflation, the economy. Um, for now, you know, it, might, it seems like it's it's uh, turning downward again. But you know, for Pence and again for McConnell too, this it seems like they're trying to do the waiting game. And you're going to have a problem because all this is focused on the hard right base of Trump. So you get extremists like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who you know still is an extremist. Um, you know, there's more extremists now. Um, playing into the anti-FBI stuff. But when you start to pivot to like a general election, you know, you, you're going to have problems with that because that doesn't sell with the broader electorate. You know, it only gets you through primaries. And at the end of the day, any party is still about winning. And that's kind of the, that, and this is the problem that Republicans, generally speaking, behind the scenes, they don't do it publicly very much, but behind the scenes, this is what they talk about with Trump. This is what they're concerned about. Mm-hmm. I want to uh, explore that issue with each of you, and Leah, start with you. Uh, Tom raises, you know, look, in, for all effect, we've turned the corner now. We're into the general election. What is driving the electorate? You know, there's a lot of uh, commentary that the Supreme Court abortion decision was going to be the driving force, or uh, gun safety, or uh, prescription drugs. Are any of those issues catching fire, uh, or is it still just all about? Donald Trump? I think it's um, all of the above. Uh, And I also think at this point, it probably depends on demographic. I mean, it's really hard to tell right now. We should just throw that out there, especially given how quickly things are changing with, you know, uh, inflation. We've seen uh, 
oil prices begin to drop or have dropped. Um, so, I mean, a lot is changing really quickly. And we're seeing uh, be- kind of the beginning of news reports of what a post-row world looks like. Um, so we're seeing, you know, beyond the kind of obvious consequences of it, um, we're seeing some really kind of horrifying stories, especially affecting um, young women and children um, around the country. So it's hard to tell because everything is moving so quickly right now and because Trump is now in the public eye in a way that he wasn't during this year's primaries. When Glenn Youngkin, for example, had that massive upset in Mm -hmm. Virginia, uh, he was able to keep Trump completely out of the picture. He was, uh, according to some reporting, talking behind the scenes. So now we have Trump right back front and center. And we're also, last point, seeing data move. We're beginning to see the generic ballot move. We're seeing... um, polling coming out from state after state in the Senate that shows Republicans who should be winning trailing. Um, and so it's it's hard to tell what's moving and what is mo- what is the cause of that movement. How do you read it, uh, Kirk? Is the, uh, the Supreme Court decision, the abortion issue, going to be uh, number one? I think for a certain type of voter, it will be, and this is going to be a very influential voter. To Leah's point about seeing some data move, we've had two special elections in the House in the last few weeks where Republicans have won in uh, Nebraska and Minnesota, but Democrats made it a little bit more closer to comfort than a lot of people expected. Couple that with the, in Kansas, they had the first voter referendum on abortion Mm -hmm. access and abortion Mm -hmm. rights uh, a few weeks ago. And it overwhelmingly, and the Kansas, you know, red Kansas overwhelmingly voted to uphold uh, abortion rights and abortion access right now. Those are all data points in Democrats favor right now that this abortion issue and this brave new post row world that we find ourselves in is a really animating issue, not just for democratic leaning voters. Of course, that's going to get them out in ways that, you know, President Biden's uh, legislative victories might not, but also those independent college educated women voters, women uh, voters that Republicans and Democrats have really been competing for the last few cycles. Now that's going up against the fundamentals of a midterm cycle where historically the party of the uh, president in the White House has lost a bunch of seats in the House. President Biden's at like the low upper 30s, low 40s uh, approval rating. The economy is still pretty rough. You know, we are seeing a few signs of life, but those fundamentals are running up against this whole new post-real world we find ourselves in. And I think that's what we're going to be watching these next few months here going into the general election is which one is more dominant right now. Uh, and Tom, I know you've been looking at this issue, the, particularly the abortion issue in Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Democrats just uh, launched a new digital target, uh, a target spot around this and Pence's visit out here. Specifically with that in mind, with you know Kirk and Lee were talking about, which is trying to drive up the vote, you know, trying to increase the turnout. Um, you know, generally, one thing which is really important here, which I, I think, like, I fall into this trap, and I think we all kind of, generally speaking, paying with a broad brush on the media, is like we focus so much on these big changes on the right and the and the rise of extremism on the right, the rise of political violence. An insurrection slash coup, um, you know, that just flat out lying, like all of these big changes. But like, it's for me, especially, it's easy to like lose sight of 
the fact that the majority of the country just is not dialed into this stuff. You know, if you get a majority of voters, they're not going to say, yeah, we hate the FBI. And, you know, if we're, if we're raided, we're going to go on you know, Steve Bannon's show and, you know, whatever. You know, like we're like we're catering to Alex Jones. Like that's just not where a majority of the country is. And, you know, building off what Lee was saying, you know, about people running away from Trump. Or Tim Michaels, I think it was up in Wisconsin, the um, uh, who won the with with Trump's endorsement. He scrubbed. A Trump from his website the day after he won the primary. So, <laughs> so like, right? Like, and and you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the way Democrats used to handle Barack Obama after Obamacare in 2012. You know, so like, I think that's like, like, don't lose sight of like this is where the majority of the part, majority of the country is right now, and it's not down the rabbit hole. Right. Thank God. Well, one of the, a, a lot of the focus now has been shifting lately. Leah, you alluded to this, uh, to the Senate races where Republicans find themselves maybe not as confident as they once were that they could not only win back the House, but win back control of the United States Senate. Uh, we'll get into that with our panelists today. Kirk Beto from uh, the National Journal, Tom Lobianco from Yahoo News, and Leah Escaranam from Grid News after a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod. And today's roundtable brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Iron Workers, a great iron workers union under the leadership of Eric Dean. You know, they say the sky is the limit. That's their motto. And boy, do they really mean it. Think of the iconic structures uh, in this country, including the Golden Gate Bridge, the Great Arch in St. Louis, or the New World Trade Center building all thanks to the good work of the Iron Workers Union. We salute the members of the Iron Workers and thank them for their great work building America. Thank them especially for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website for more about uh, all that they are up to, the great work that they're doing at ironworkers.org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. And we're 
We're back with uh, today's Bill Press Pot and today's Reporters Roundtable. Joining us from uh, National Journal uh, Hotline, where the editor, Kirk Fado, Tom Lobianco, politics reporter at Yahoo News, and from the new Grid News. Grid.news, right, Leah? That's it, Bill. Grid.news. <laughs> Leah Escarinam. Uh So, S- Mitch McConnell surprised me. I don't remember any party leader saying two months before the election, yeah, it doesn't look like we're not going to do we're not going to do so well in these Senate races uh, coming up. Kirk, was this Mitch McConnell throwing in the towel? I don't know if this was him throwing in the towel as much as it was a signal to the donors like, hey, everyone, we need to really step up our game here. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> because just in the last few weeks, you know, you've seen a lot of red flags even before um, McConnell uh, said that, yeah, you know, we probably might not take it back yesterday. We saw the NRSC uh, cut its ads, uh, cut, scale back its ad buys in Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Uh, just yesterday, you saw the McConnell-aligned Super Pat, the Senate Leadership Fund, uh, place a $28 million ad reservation in Ohio, in Red Ohio, to help mm-hmm. uh, J.D. Vance, who's been you know, anemic fundraising to say the least. But I think this just goes back to one of the fundamentals of campaigning here. And it's that candidates matter. And across the board, you've had Republicans nominate some less than ideal uh, candidates across the country here. And some of that partially has to do with Trump's influence. Mm-hmm. You saw Dud Ducey stayed out of the Arizona primary because there was no real path forward after Trump uh, set his sights on him. Uh, up in New Hampshire, Chris Sununu also snubbed uh, McConnell, Rick Scott, and other national Republicans by turning down a run up there. And now it's kind of a you know clown car of uh, Republicans trying to compete against Maggie Hassan. So Republicans are in a really tough spot right now because you know McConnell does have a point, especially in statewide races. Candidates matter, and the Republican candidates just don't have the goods right now. Uh, most of the attention has been focused uh, uh, in terms of lackluster candidates on Georgia and Pennsylvania in Georgia. Uh, Herschel Walker, uh, who's been called a walking gaffe machine. Um, Leah, this week again, he, uh, uh, he, he wanted everybody to know what his goal is, Herschel Walker's goal is, in terms of uh, helping the American people. This is his campaign pledge. Here's what he's working all about. People on the left, they, they have nothing to run on you know, right now. They can't stand behind the policies that they're uh, that they they voted for, and my message is: I want to bring this uh, the economy down. Yep, I want to bring the economy down. <laughs> yeah, there's a winning message, Leah. Yeah, really, uh, the groundbreaking stuff there. I mean, honestly, saying like in general, like you know, having kind of vague campaign promises is like a it's not a bad playbook. Not gonna lie, like that's a lot of people have won without specifics. Um, but I think what we're seeing in in Georgia, and I think we're beginning to see this in Arizona, uh, or we have been seeing this in Arizona. Uh, we don't really know how red, purple, or blue. Georgia is right now. We have very little data to go on. We have a 2020 election where uh, Trump basically discouraged people from showing up for the runoff in January. Um, So, I mean, in a general kind of fundamental red state, somebody like Herschel Walker, with while not maybe the strongest candidate, should be able to kind of, you know, pass as, you know, a, a 
generic Republican. Um, but what we're seeing is places like Georgia, these are competitive states now. This is not a red state. We don't know how purple it is, but we know that it's no longer ruby red and that these candidates do have to be higher caliber. Now, the question with Mitch McConnell is, you know, with some of these candidates, it does make sense, you know, Trump endorsed them first, and he Mm -hmm. did mention that he doesn't like the candidate quality, but McConnell did get behind Herschel Walker pretty early in the race. So uh, this is an example where I'm I'm not totally sure if this is uh, McConnell blaming Trump or maybe... (laughs) Right. Uh, but Mercado, I don't think, had any choice because Trump came on so strong on Herschel Walker. But it is certainly one seat that Republicans were thinking they could flip. And it looks like now those chances are getting more and more slim. Another same case is in Arizona, where, as you point out, Republicans were thinking former Governor Doug Ducey would run or Governor Doug Ducey would run. Uh, Trump uh, didn't like him because he didn't totally support the 2000 lie. Um, and so, um, or the 2020 lie. And so um, along comes Blake Masters. Uh, Tom, Blake Masters has his own idea for what he's running on. Here he is this week. We need fresh and innovative thinking, right? Maybe we should privatize Social Security, right? Private retirement accounts. Get the government out of it. Privatize Social Security, Tom. There's a winner. Hey. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's fresh, right, from, what, 30, 40 years ago? Uh, um, ask, ask Newt Gingrich how well that went, right? <laughs> I mean, it could be fresh in remaking, you know, in reinstating, uh, you know, in, uh, uh, Medicare, Social Security as a, as a third rail of politics. So that might be fresh, refresh, I guess. Um, you know, what's interesting about uh, the Masters and, and uh, J.D. Vance in particular is how much like the threat of Peter Thiel money, so Silicon Valley billionaire money, was going to like you know remember all the way back to a couple months ago when that was like you know this is going to reshape politics, right? And now it's McConnell bailing them out. You know McConnell going to the donors, being like, oh god, you know we got yeah. you know we got flushed twenty eight million into this. I don't you know it's again and you know building on what Leo was saying earlier about like we don't have a really good gauge yet of this you know 20 was such a weird election with pandemic with trump depressing his own vote with these accusations um you know in the georgia senate races it's just i feel like we're all still trying to get our compass set on this and like and it could be that things are changing and we don't know that they've changed yet or it could be that they're reverting back to normal and you know arizona's purple Mm -hmm. georgia's red and Virginia's purple-ish, you know, trending blue. Um, but, like, those questions come out in the wash in a few months. You know, yep. we're going to know in, in November on this. Uh, and, Kirk, your own uh, Charlie Cook there at the National Journal this week made news himself by fl- by changing the asp- uh, prospects in Pennsylvania from, uh, I think it was maybe right down the middle to now it is lean Democrat partly because of the um, disastrous campaign run so far by Trump's endorsed candidate, Mehmet Oz, who's the Republican nominee. Uh, My favorite part of the week, um, Kirk, is when Mehmet Oz went shopping uh, for crudite for his wife. Uh, We have to play. Here's a little bit of Kirk in the aisle of a supermarket where I think he had never been in his life. I do some grocery shopping. I'm at Wegner's and my wife wants some vegetables for crudite, right? So here's a broccoli. 
That's two bucks without a ton of broccoli there. <laughs> uh, Kirk, I think most Pennsylvanians <laughs> said, what the hell is crudite? <laughs> I, I uh, also looked that up as well. There, You would be shocked at how many times we have watched that clip uh, in the hotline offices here. I, I cannot disclose it here for embarrassing myself and my staff, but that is uh, on heavy repeat here. Uh, yeah, it was Jessica Taylor at the Cook Political Report with Amy Walter who updated three Senate uh, ratings this week. And all but one of them were in favor of Democrats. The only one that shifted uh, a little bit away from uh, Democrats was in Colorado, where you know we've been talking about candidate recruitment there. That's probably one of the best recruits in the country for Republicans. It's construction company owner Joe O'Day, who's not running in the MAGA lane, who's trying to be more of a moderate voice. But back to Pennsylvania, Mehmet Oz is tough. This this clip that we just played is from April and it got resurfaced this past week and quickly went viral everywhere to where he's having to put out statements defending uh, his comments, defending <laughs> crudite. You know, I, I think he has single-handedly educated the entire country on what crudite <laughs> is. So if that's the lasting legacy of the Oz campaign, congratulations to him. But even before this, he's been really struggling with with fundraising, with getting out on the trail. Even you know his Democratic opponent, John Fetterman, was sidelined for two and a half months recovering from a stroke, and he was still raking in the money and really opening up a comfortable, not you know anything to put the, the race away, but a comfortable lead in the polls that we've seen so far. So it's going to be interesting, interesting to see if he can turn it, if Oz and Mitch McConnell can turn this race around, because that's a must-win seat for Republicans if they want to keep control of the Senate. Yeah, guys, real, real quick about this, Wegmans, Wegmans, because this <laughs> is the other part of this. My family no, is from no, no, no. north of it, Baltimore. Wegmans, man, well, like well, it is a religious experience. I mean, right. my mom but, swears by it. Okay, like Wegmans, yeah. not Wegners. <laughs> right, right. He called it Wegners. It wasn't Wegman, even Wegmans. Right. It was something. And, and, and like everything that. about it, like I, I would like to watch his Impruder film style breakdown of of all. Oh the God. setups, yes. the shots. Why did they not just shoot it again after he screwed up the name and everything? That's that's just a, a campaign staffing issue. That's a nuts and bolts blocking and tackling thing. Like, come on, man. <laughs> it's like I'm shopping here for some crudite at Wegman. Chet, checks, yeah. Chet's notes on hand. Weg, Wegners? <laughs> and you think somebody might have said, uh, by the way, in Pennsylvania, we don't really – serve crudite as john fetterman said maybe once in a while we have a veggie tray right <laughs> a veggie tray that's about it all right now um i guess we all have to remind ourselves um that there is a president of the united states these days his name is dot not donald trump his name is joe biden and on the joe biden front leah look inflation is going down gas prices are down the price of oil is down he signed the biggest climate change bill in history this week. Something He did something Democrats have been long uh, supporting, and a lot of Republicans, making it possible for Medicare to negotiate drug prices, prescription drug prices, with pharmaceutical companies. He expanded access to health care. Joe Biden doesn't get any credit or any news about any of that, Leah. What's going on? Well, he's not getting bad news, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but no news is bad news, isn't it? 
think that's the key. I mean, it was – I think part of it is just building momentum and there was a lot of good news and this was one chapter in all of that. Um, I do think it'll be interesting to see after the midterms when some of the kind of perks for individual consumers start um, going into place, like rebates for home appliances and – for uh, reducing ener- home energy use. I mean, you know, that could have an, an impact before 2024 as well. Um, but I think it was just an example of, you know, the, the Democratic Party not being dysfunctional for a second. And I'm not saying that you know, Republicans are, n- are not dysfunctional. I'm saying that in the first term of President Trump, um, it was also really difficult for Republicans <laughs> to pass things. And now Democrats are like, you know what? We can pass things too. I, I would have to point out the only term of Donald Trump, not, right. the, not yes. the first term. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> good, uh, good clarification. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Tom, here is uh, a Joe Biden when he signed this bill showing a little, a little fire that we don't always hear from uh, Joe Biden, but I think making a good point, President Biden. And remember, every single Republican in Congress voted against this bill. Every single Republican in Congress voted against lowering prescription drug prices, against lowering health care costs, against the fair tax system. Every single Republican, every single one voted against tackling the climate crisis, against lowering our energy costs, against creating good paying jobs. My fellow Americans, that's the choice we face. We can protect the already powerful or show the courage to build a future where everybody has an even shot. That's the America I believe in. That's what I believe in. So, Tom, uh, that's a powerful message. Why don't we hear mm-hmm. that Joe Biden more often? Oh, boy, great question. You know, they seem to be, the, the White House seems to be coming out a little bit more. I saw uh, Ron Klain uh, give an interview to Playbook, mm-hmm. um, you know, open up the White House a little bit. They seem to be catching on. You know, you see Democrats talking up more of the, the dark Brandon meme, you know, uh, Joe Biden with the, you know, the bright lit, red uh, LED lights uh, shooting out of his eyes, you know, kind of co-opting the let's go Brandon from the Trump MAGA world. Um, you know, what's fascinating about that, though, too, is that it gets to the Rust Belt populism that you see Democrats kind of returning to, you know, Fetterman in Pennsylvania showing right. up at the White right. House in the Carhartt, uh, you know, hoodie. Um, the entire Tim Ryan campaign versus yep. J.D. Vance. Um, and I've always been wondering, like, why Democrats didn't lean in more into the union vote in particular. They used to have it, but they kind of lost it over the last decade. And maybe they're returning to it because that sounds like, you know, Joe from Scranton, you know, the guy detailed in uh, Richard Ben Kramer, you know, what it takes. Not the, you know, not the polished elitist that you know, has been out there before in you know, some presentations. Uh, Kirk, it is, uh, I saw someone allude to one of the many political commentaries I read but this morning before we started taping, uh, said that Biden maybe suffers from the fact that we got so used to a presidency where every day was a shit show, right, <laughs> that, that Biden just can't compete with that. Yeah, I mean that was from the uh, I believe it was from the Ron Klein interview this uh, Ron Klein, Klein, yeah, Ron Klein, yeah, Ron Klein right. interview this morning yeah. in, in Playbook, and yeah, look, he kind of does have a point where Trump was this right massive black hole that sucked in and demanded all this attention, and there isn't that same type of urgency with President Biden. What I'm going to be interested in 
the White House has talked about for the next few weeks, uh, really getting Biden out on the trail and out uh, campaigning with these vulnerable Democratic members touting this bill right now. I want to see what tone he takes there. But more importantly, I want to see which of these vulnerable members actually want to and candidates want to actually campaign with Biden because his mm-hmm. approval mm-hmm. ratings are still in the high 30s, early, uh, low 40s. I'll be interested if people like Nan Whaley in Ohio or Tim Ryan, who's running for Senate there, uh, get up on the stage with him. If Sydney Atsney in uh, Iowa, uh, who's been talking about her alliance with Biden, gets up on stage with him or meets him out at the tarmac. like Those are the things that I'm going to be watching here to see how much of his power he has right now and how he can drive this point home for voters. Right. And one of the points that Ron Klain made it made in his interview with Politico, uh, he actually said about Biden that he is a, called him, quote, a transformational president with historic achievements. Uh, we will see how well they sell that message uh, and uh, how well that message is received, as you point out, uh, in many different, many close races across the country. Hey, what a great wrap for all the news of the week. A big thank you uh, to Leah Escaranem, Tom Lobianco, and Kirk Beto. Now, um, we won't let you go before, of all the stories you were covering this week, in the middle of everything you were doing, something uh, certainly caught your attention, stopped you in your tracks. We call it our favorite story of the week, made you stop and laugh and maybe, or think, and laugh and maybe cry. Uh, Leah, Start us off. What struck you? Uh, this isn't a, a a typical news event that I that I normally share here. <laughs> okay. Uh, I recently reread Persuasion by Jane Austen. Oh my god! Um, and it was this time reading it life changing. Big fan of the book, but reading reviews of the Netflix uh, <laughs> adaptation of it has been a real joy. Uh, the last week or so, uh, it did not do well uh, in in, uh, in the view of critics. Uh, but there was one article that I saw from The Post by uh, Martine Powers there about how persuasion is having this moment where all of a sudden it's become incredibly popular potentially because of the pandemic. So I hmm. thought that was interesting. And I really want to talk about persuasion with people. So feel free to reach out. <laughs> It's good that all of us in Washington uh, get so crazed in what we're covering that we can find escape in good classical fiction. So that's <laughs> a nice way to go. Uh, Tom, you're on the road. Uh, what caught your attention this week? Okay, not quite a story. This is the 2022 New Foods pamphlet from the Iowa State Fair. Oh. Uh, this is phenomenal. Okay, there's the, there's the OMG chicken sandwich, which is a fried chicken sandwich with bacon and all kinds of other, um, you know, deep fried crudite in between a, uh, a donut. There is the finisher, oh. the rib shack, which is just fat and meat and barbecue sauce on a giant baked potato. Um, and the lines for these things are just bonkers. They are long. Um, they move fast, but they take a while. So I haven't gotten any of them yet. But the one <laughs> I'm like dying for right now is number five, the Ego Fuego at the, at the <laughs> Cluck and Coop. All right, it's $8. Ready? Here we go. <clears throat> Turn up the heat. It's a spicy spin on an ordinary sandwich. The Ego Fuego starts with a fried egg loaded with pepper jack cheese, Iowa's own Beeler's chorizo, guacamole, and spicy jalapeno relish. Placed in a brioche bun, this is a spicy way <laughs> to enjoy a far-from-ordinary sandwich. Uh, Tom, 
You can have one for all three of us here. Oh, I will. You're packing, you're packing a cooler back here, right? You're, you're going to oh, grab some of those? Yeah. I don't know how well they're cheap, but I'll, I'm willing to try it. I'm refunding my plane ticket, renting a minivan, and just driving back with all of it. <laughs> how about it, Kirk? Your favorite story? Uh, you know, I, it's it's difficult to follow up Jane Austen and uh, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the glory that is Iowa fried food and everything. But uh, I'm... Uh, my friend Kathleen Harrington sent me this story yesterday, and you know, I came up through uh, local newspapers at the uh, Tennessee and in Nashville, and this story really resonated with me. It's from The Atlantic with the provocative headline, How to Kill a Newspaper. Uh, it's all about the oh. Aspen Times out in Colorado. It's by mm. a former editor out there by the name of Andrew Travers, and he tells this story about how in less than a year, this strong independent editorial team of about 13 journalists was winnowed down to about four uh after the paper sold to this west virginia company and it's this kafka-esque situation where there's billionaires the owners of the pittsburgh pirates a litigious soviet-born developer who took issue with them calling him an oligarch and the wealthy cousin of neil gorsuch trying to sell a ski resort and it's at the center of it is this small local paper trying to do their damnedest to report on the news for this community that's been changing so much and has had seen so much outside influence and it should make you very very frustrated and sad reading it it's kind of like a call to call to arms and that uh got me riled Hmm. up last night reading that oh i'll bet and you know sadly that story has been replicated uh too many times in too many communities across the country yeah, so sad. Well, I got to tell you, I, I'm back to um, maybe with Leah to going to a book for my favorite story of the week. Um, some of you may have missed the fact that there's a uh, uh, a new political book out this week by Jared Kushner. <laughs> uh, the title, Breaking History, a book that I will never read and never buy for sure. Uh, but I must say, I was I laughed out loud at the review that was in the New York Times, written by Dwight Garner about Jared Kushner's book. Uh, you, you, we all have to ask, who the hell cares what Jared Kushner has to say about anything? Uh, certainly, Dwight Garner says he doesn't uh, give us a good reason for believing uh, that anything he did was worth talking about in his book, Breaking History. Uh, I just want to read a couple of sentences from Garner's uh, review. Uh, he says that overall, Kushner betrays little cognizance that he was in demand because, as a landslide of other reporting has already demonstrated, he was in demand only because he was in over his head, unable to curb his avarice, a cocky young real estate heir who happened to unwrap a lot of Big Macs alongside of his father-in-law, the erratic and misinformed and similarly mercenary leader of the free world. And Gardner concludes by saying, ouch, here we go, quote, This book is like a tour of a once majestic 18th century wooden house, now burned to its foundations, that focuses solely on and rejoices in what's left amid the ashes, the two singed bathtubs, the gravel driveway, and the mailbox. (laughs) Kushner's fealty to Trump remains absolute. Reading this book reminded me of watching a cat lick a dog's eye goo. (laughs) I have never 
read a more brutal review, and um, nobody deserves it more than Jared Kushner. Who the hell cares? Uh, I will go so far as to predict that that book is not going to do very well <laughs> on the bestseller list. Leah Escaranam from Grid News, the new Grid News, Tom Lobianco from Yahoo News, Kirk Beto, National Journal Hotline. Thank you all for joining us today. Great job on today's panel. And thank all the rest of you for listening. Uh, it's been a very, very busy week. Promises to be another one next week. And we'll be back on Tuesday with the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Meanwhile, take care of yourselves. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next Tuesday on the Bill Press Pod.